Chapter 5 of The Man Who Missed It by W. H. H. Murray. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 5 Yes, a woman. There was no doubt of that. No spirit ever had such face and eyes and mortal form. A face of earthly beauty and a form whose perfect poise and active, buoyant life spoke not of spiritual but of perfect mortal mold. A young woman, from whose face looked forth profound astonishment at the spectacle she beheld. The man lying on the floor, the dog, Lucky, scratching at his breast, the trapper with every feature of his face suggestive of surprise. "'What have I done?' said the girl. "'Is he dead?' And she looked at the man lying on the floor where he had fallen, and the dog, Lucky, who was tugging at his garments with piteous cries, as if to him his master was asleep, and he would wake him. Dead? No, said the trapper. You see, he isn't very strong, and a little unsteady in his head, as I conceit. And you're coming in suddenly on him, when he was expecting somebody else took him all back. But he'll come to in a minute if you fetch me the dipper of water there. And the trapper moved to the side of the man who had swooned, knelt beside him, loosened his necktie, and began to chafe his wrists. The girl, quick as flash, slipped her hands from her mittens, threw off her jacket, and casting aside her hood, glided to the pail that stood at one end of the hearthstone, and, stooping over the prostrate man, began to sprinkle the water with skillful fingers on his face. As she had thrown aside her hood and jacket, her hair escaped its fastenings. It was bright auburn in color and abundant, and fell with many a wave and curl even to her waist. Whom was he expecting? asked the girl, as placing the dipper on the floor, she seized the other wrist and began to chafe at it with her own soft and glowing palms. It's hard to say, young woman. Yes, it's certainly hard to say who the man was expectin', or who the old fool called John Norton was really looking for when he opened the door. You see, the man had his ups and downs, and the downs have had the best of it for the most part, and he was telling me the story of his life, and he got to an interesting point for he was telling me that the girl he loved died on his wedding night, and the night was Christmas Eve, and that her spirit always appeared to him on the same night each year, and at a certain minute, too, and that the minute had come. And as he told the story with a good deal of earnestness, it sort of took hold of me, and when he jumped up and said she was coming, you see, I raised too, and by the Lord of mercy, young woman, when I heard the light steps traveling up the path and heard you stop at the door, well, you see, here was a man that said the spirit was coming, and there was your steps, and the pups acting unnatural, and I even most thought the spirit had come. And when I just told you to come in, I certainly expected that an angel would take me at my word, and I concede they did, said the old man, and he looked into the face of the girl, whose eyes, as her hands continued to chafe the man's wrist, were looking into the old man's face with an expression half of wonder and half of amusement in them. Yes, I can see they did, and his eyes twinkled, and his face beamed with humorous good nature, but in a body a little too solid for wings to lift, unless they make him a unnatural size in eternity. See, said the girl, he is coming to himself. I shouldn't wonder, shouldn't wonder, said the trapper. A fainting is nothing to be concerned over. If the shirt band isn't too tight, water handy, and, and them who be tending to the case don't make too much fuss about it, 
All you have to do is let him lie flat on his back, flirt some water in his face off and on, rub the wrists a little, and keep up a kind of cheerful conversation. That's judicious treatment, as I've noted. There is such a thing as overdoing such matters, said the trapper philosophically, and a man has got to have a good deal of sense to let nature alone, for nature is nature, and you can't hurry her out of her gate, whether the trouble be in the stomach or the head. But if you'll not hurry her so as to make her overrun the track, she'll work the scent up in time, and be as certain of herself as a hound running with a high nose when the buck is in full sight. At this point the man gave a sudden gasp, and a kind of convulsion shook his frame, at which the dog Lucky gave him a short, quick, joyous bark, and a frisk of genuine happiness. "'He's coming, too,' said the trapper, speaking hurriedly and in a low voice. "'You do well to note the dog.' for the girl had turned her large eyes toward him at his manifestation of happiness, which the trapper was not slow to observe. You do well to note the dog, for though he come from a most unreasonable cross, the dog be a good'un. He be coming to himself, whispered the trapper, and young woman, don't you be scared if he acts a little flighty, for though he be an honest man, and his knowledge be something wonderful, still he has his notions. Yes, he has his notions. "'so don't you be concerned if he acts a little flighty.' "'The caution certainly did not come too soon, "'for after another gasp he heaved his chest "'and another shiver ran through his frame. "'The man who missed it opened his eyes, "'and as he opened them his gaze fell directly upon the girl. "'A more rapid or changeful play of features "'was never seen upon human countenance. "'It was true he had awoke from his trance, "'but reason, that sure guide to correct vision,' though struggling back from the depth to which she had been thrown, had not yet fully regained ascendancy. Had there been an angel indeed before him, the awe of his look could not have been more profound than it was as it rested on the face of the girl. Her hair unbound in waves of gold flowed over her shoulders, covering them almost from sight. Her large expressive eyes were fastened on him, animated to a degree because of the curiosity, the expectation, and the sympathy which possessed their depths. The man's face was yet white with the pallor of his swoon. He gazed steadfastly a moment at her, who had seemed to his expectant and indiscriminating vision the bright being he had loved and lost long years ago, and then he timidly stretched one hand out toward her own, and after an instant's hesitation, as if to summon courage, he gently touched the warm palm with the tip of his finger. Still he acted like one undecided. He struggled up to a sitting posture, passed his thin hand with steady pressure over his temples once or twice, pinched his forehead with his fingers, as if by some physical effort he would recall his wandering faculties. And then, as his hand fell to his lap, he fixed his eyes again upon the girl and gazed steadily at her face. The trapper's eye was on him, and he noted that, as he gazed, the look of awe died out, and into its place came a look of pain, tempered with gentle sadness. "'Thou art like her,' he said at length. "'Thy beauty is perhaps as great as hers, but thou art not she. Thou hast come in her place. She was true in coming. She has been true in sending thee. She has kept her promise, old trapper, and given me the sign.' "'What sign did she give you, friend?' said the trapper. "'She said she would come each time save one, "'and then she would send another, as pure as she but happier, "'and that one should come a year lacking an hour before she would come. 
and when she came at the end of the year, lacking an hour, she would come for me, and we would find our second wedding at an altar where death could not part us. Young woman, thou hast come in her place. The pledge is kept, and I read the sign. Old trapper, one year lacking an hour, and then the man who has missed it will be done with missing. He shall die at the Lord's appointment, friend, said the trapper sturdily. We shall come to the edge of the great clearing when the last step of the trail has been trodden, and not before. Sign or no sign, for no man may shorten a number of his steps, and no man lessen the number of hours, and no man may set twelve months beforehand the hour of his death, or the manner of his going, whether he die in peace in his bed, or he be struck down in the scrimmage. Now, friend, said the trapper, lying hold of him gently but firmly, let me help you up, and do ye get into your chair, for you be weak as a kitten, and I have other work to do or the Lord has made a mistake in sending this young woman here. And now, young woman, he resumed when he had assisted the man to his chair, whence come ye, and what evil has befallen ye that ye came running to my door on a winter's night when I conceded there wasn't a living creature of my kind within fifty mile of my cabin, and certainly none like ye, who be from the settlements as I plainly see, and... The trapper turned absolutely white. For an instant his lips moved, as if struggling for speech but not a sound issued. At last he said, while the pallor of an awful fear spread over his face, God of mercy, young woman, have you come from Henry? I don't know whom you call Henry, said the girl, evidently astonished at the dreadful looks of the trapper's face, the awful fear and pallor of it, as much as at the intensity of his exclamation. It was a spectacle indeed to see the change that came to the trapper's countenance. The whiteness of a terrible dread vanished and his cheek took its natural hue. The tightness of his look relaxed, and his fingers, that had been nervously clutched, unclosed from the palm. "'God be praised,' said the trapper, speaking as a man speaks when his feelings are too tense for silence. "'God be praised for your ignorance. I thought, mayhaps, the boy was gone, and that my eyes would see his face no more. A grave under the pine is enough. When another of the three be made—' May his eyes see it, not mine. But why did you come? continued the trapper, and what be your wants? My name is Magnet, said the young woman, and I came for help, and I want you to be quick, for though I do not think he is suffering from cold, and though he told me not to hurry, for he is in no pain, yet I know he must be in pain, for who is in pain? Speak quick, young woman, and put on your things. For if a man be in pain— and he is waiting for us the sooner we get to him the better. It is my brother, answered the girl, slipping into her warm fur-lined jacket and tying her hood closely under her chin, while the old trapper shoved his feet into the moccasins and reached for the foxskin cap over the doorway. It's my brother, she repeated, who is sickly, and has come into the woods because his physician has given him up and said he must die, and my brother said he wouldn't die, and I said so too and the physician said perhaps he wouldn't if he could get into the woods. And so we started for your cabin, for we had heard of you, John Norton. My brother knows the man whose brother you saved in the rapids last year, and he told us to come straight to your cabin, and you would care for us. And so we left our city home, as I said, and started for this point. A countryman brought us in from the edge of the woods till we struck the borders of the lake, just after the sun had set, 
and he wouldn't go another step, for he said the ice was uncertain, and he didn't know the breathing holes. And he proposed to camp till morning, and then come on. But my brother was impatient to be here, for you see, he was excited in being so near to you, of whom he had read and heard so much, and he said he would walk if I would, and so we took the direction from the teamster, who said we would see the light of your cabin after we had passed the second island, and sure enough we did, and we got on famously, and were almost here where my brother slipped and fell and sprained his ankle so that he could not walk, but I could see the light shining bright through your little window, and I hurried on, and I came running to your door, and you know the rest. It had all been told in far less time than it takes to write it, for the girl spoke hurriedly in her excitement and didn't waste a word. "'You be a brave girl, Magnet,' said the trapper, "'and you have acted with judgment. "'Stay where you be, friend,' said he, speaking to the man who had missed it, "'unless you feel like histing two or three more logs into the fire. "'And say,' continued the trapper with his hand on the latch, "'put over the kettle and get the water boiling. "'The boy will need a warm and drink when he comes. "'No, no, Magnet, you mustn't walk.' Your feet have been far enough tonight. Get into the sled. And the old man pulled the sled from the corner of the building, against which it was standing, and threw a bearskin over it in such a way that it would answer for a cushion and a covering both. Get into the sled and tuck yourself in, and I'll give you a ride such as you can't have in the settlements if your horse hasn't but two legs. No, no, said the old man, laughing to himself as he started on. You needn't tell me the direction, for I've got the line of your trail and it isn't often that I follow so small a track, either. And the old man, laughing to himself, started on a dog trot up the lake, for the snow on the ice was light and offered little impediment. They had gone half a mile, perhaps, when the trapper turned his face backward to the sled and said, "'Well, Magnet, are you a good judge of distance? I think you have gone halfway,' said the girl in a clear, hopeful voice. "'For it's a little this side of the island where he slipped. "'Good enough.' said the trapper. You've got a judgmatical eye for certain. And as it isn't likely to wake any neighbors, I'll send a sound down towards your brother that'll let him know he ain't a thousand miles off. And the old trapper came to a stop for a single step and sent a call from his mouth into the frosty air, the echoes of which passing from bluff to bluff must have gone nearly to the inlet. The girl laughed pleasantly at the energy of the sound. Shh, said the trapper. And answering, Hello! came across the surface of the snow. A brave and cheerful sound it was, full of gladsome courage, although by no means strong, as if the spirit rather than the mouth sent it forth. That is Tom, said the girl. Dear old fellow, I'm afraid he thinks I have been gone a long time. He's a good un, said the trapper, if a man can be judged by the sound of his voice, for his call had hope in it, and a kind of cheerful certainty that a coward couldn't send forth. Tom is no coward, said the girl. He would have died long ago if he hadn't been determined not to. You don't think he'll die up here, do you, John Norton? And the girl put the question plaintively. Die? ejaculated the trapper. Certainly not. No one can die up here, unless the number of his days be run out by reason of his years, or his spirit be crushed by reason of his troubles. Die? No. No man can die with an appetite and your brother will be eaten like Henry himself before he has been in the cabin a week. Who is Henry? asked the girl. Henry be mine, said the trapper. I had two, Henry and the lad. The lad be gone, but Henry be left. 
You'll know him some day, perhaps. I didn't know that you had children, said the girl. Not arter the flesh, Magnet, not arter the flesh, but arter the spirit, and Henry and the lad be mine arter the spirit. While the dialogue had been going on, the old trapper had maintained his steady trot, and at a pace that ate up the distance of a mile rapidly. I see him, said the trapper in a moment. He has crawled to the point of the island, and just lightening him afire. Your brother has his wits about him, that's certain, and is acting like a man of sense. But we'll give him a better fire than he'd make out here if he burnt the island over. Here we are, said the trapper in a moment, as he swung up to the point of the island. Here we are, young man, and the cabin's not far away. Tom, dear Tom, said the girl as she jumped from the sled, and running up to the man seated on the shore, she flung both her arms around his neck and kissed him. Dear Tom, here is John Norton. Never mind the greeting now, said the old man. The air be biting and the cabin be warm. And putting his arms out, he lifted the young man upon the sled and wrapped him up warmly in the skin. And without another word, he seized hold of the tongue of the sled and started toward the cabin. The girl, with many questions to her brother, touching his feelings, and with many a cheering word touching the warm fire ahead and the hearty greeting she had received from the trapper, tramped along beside him. Thus the three, the trapper, happy in the thought of the deed he was doing, the young man who was determined not to die, and the girl whose love was equal to his courage, passed rapidly on over the snow and came to the trapper's cabin. End of chapter 5